This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did the most important musician of the 1980s influence other pop culture? Everybody wants some. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of, oh no, hmm, from a couple of... Couple of kids from the mean streets? (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) A couple of kids from the mean streets. (laughs) My name's Will and joining me as always is my friend and my co-host, Ray. Hello, everyone. What's up? Hey, everybody. Hey, we're getting closer to Halloween. Oh, I can feel it in the air. I'm getting goose pimples, goosebumps. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just thinking about it. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the legendary rocker who just left us far too soon, Mr. Edward Van Halen. And we're going to be touching upon how his uh, influence extended beyond rock and roll and some of the, about some of the connections he had to other uh, pop culture in the 1980s. Uh, But before that, remember to like, subscribe, comment, view, uh, I don't know what, copy, paste, uh, the podcast, wherever you listen to it. Yeah. And call a friend who you haven't heard from in like 20 years (laughs) and just randomly bring up our podcast (laughs) and tell them that they should like it. Yeah. (laughs) And then when, and and then go out to dinner with them. Oh, oh, you're more kind than I thought. I was gonna say, and then when they want to talk about themselves, you say, no, that, no, no, I'm done. That's it. And hang up. No, they have to go out to dinner because then it just, uh, it makes sure that everything is cool with the hmm. podcast. Hmm. I guess it further cements that they'll listen to the podcast. Right. Over an appetizer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, order an appetizer. There you go. Okay. And hey. listen to it at the restaurant. <laughs> this is some reunion. Uh, then people are going to be wondering or knowing why they haven't talked to you in 20 years. Oh, they'll know immediately why they haven't <laughs> talked to you in 20 they, years. If they make it past the uh, mozzarella sticks. Okay. Hey, uh, let's get caught up on 80s news. Uh, okay, so hey, today uh, on 80s News, let's start with this John Belushi thing. Uh, it's just a, just a few days away here that Belushi, a documentary about the late comedian John Belushi, will open the 56th iteration of the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, we learned this in The Hollywood Reporter. The festival is actually still set to take place this October 14th through the 25th, but mostly it's going to be virtual with digital tickets and screenings, just like, you know, a lot of these conventions are going. So I guess the good news is folks can, you know, still be able to anywhere, be able to see movies that they wouldn't otherwise be able to see if, unless they went to Chicago, including this one about the Chicago uh, native John Belushi. Yeah. John Belushi's awesome. You you can't go wrong with anything about John Belushi. Yeah. Ter- terrible. You know, thinking about uh, losing Eddie this week, it's, uh, obviously, Eddie succumbed to a terrible battle with uh, with cancer, but uh, Belushi's uh, demise was largely self-imposed. It just, you know, I don't know, makes it even sadder, I guess. Um, but this film will, it will uh, include um, interviews with his friends, his collaborators, Dan Aykroyd, Jim Belushi, his brother, Penny Marshall, Lorne Michaels, and a, a bunch of other folks that uh, were friends and worked with uh, the legendary comedian. Are you f- Are you familiar with Wired? The magazine Wired? 
No, the the movie with uh, Michael Chiklis. Oh yeah, yeah, as yeah. John Belushi. I remember that vaguely. It lasted like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. Hmm. I think it was based on a book. Was the book by the same name? I don't remember. I, I think so. Uh, he's an amazing actor, but this thing's impossible to find now. So, oh, Chiklis, you're talking about Chiklis yeah. as an amazing actor. Yeah, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. He's he's great, but wired uh, <laughs> wired yeah didn't do very well. So hmm. hopefully yeah. this does better. Yeah, I kind of remember when it came out. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I remember. I don't remember. I think it was '89. Oh, okay. Oh, it just makes it in there. Yeah, I don't remember it. Uh, people liking it all that much. I think it was gets critically panned. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? We'll have to find it and yeah. bring it back up in a later episode. You're always trying to get me to watch garbage movies. I think hey, I, well, <laughs> I just watched uh, return to horror high mm. with George Clooney. No way. I did. I thought he was only in killer tomatoes. It was his, uh, uh, no, no, no. He was actually in that one too. So, wow. I watch any garbage. I wonder if he was headed down a certain path of like, you know, horror films. Well, I can tell you his, he was excellent in that movie. Hmm. You could already see that he was a celebrity. <laughs> he was the shining moment in that whole travesty of a movie. Right before he's murdered, probably. in some terrible oh, oh, he was murdered. Spoiler <laughs> alert. George Clooney gets murdered in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he was too good of an actor. That's one of the signs. He was too killed. good looking. Ah, Yes, that's one of the sins, right? If you have sex in a movie in the 80s, if you show your naked body in a movie in the 80s, uh, if you're too good looking in the movie in the 80s, in a horror yeah, film. But he definitely had that George Clooney smile going on, so I knew he was going to die. Mm. Hey, in other 80s news, and this is something that slipped through the cracks, but while researching something else, I don't remember what at this point, I came across a story that came out in August, which referred to a story from earlier in July. Anyway... Here's the story. This is also from The Hollywood Reporter. They write that John Hamm had never experienced a morning like the one when he woke up on July 15th because news had broke that he would be producing and starring in Confess Fletch, an adaptation of uh, one of Gregory McDonald's Fletch mystery novels. Of course, we know Fletch because Chevy Chase made him, you know, brought him to screen in the 1980s. Yeah, what what is this garbage? <laughs> John Hamm says, I've never woken up to like 50 texts before. Uh, of course, he goes on to talk about how he's not looking to imitate Chevy Chase. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're using the books as a jumping off point. They're going right back to the original source material. Yeah, this is one of those, please don't. <laughs> we don't um, unless you're bringing Chevy back, I don't want to see it. I don't know that I want to see that either, but. Yeah, I, I'll pass. You know, I, I mentioned on uh Facebook uh, just uh, recently because it was um, Paul Hogan's birthday. I had just learned uh, when, again, looking into something about Crocodile and D, I think, because that had also premiered relatively around the same time, mm-hmm. that there was a movie that came out earlier this year uh, that's called The Wonderful Mr. Dundee, something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that um, with, with Paul Hogan, yeah. Yeah, and he plays himself, and the premise is he's going to be knighted. Uh, yeah, and um, but Hollywood, I guess because he's back in the news, Hollywood's clamoring for another Dundee film. In the trailer, they say that you know one of the gags is in the trailer they say it's going to focus on your son. And exciting news: Will Smith wants to play your son. Yeah, and Paul Hogan's like, huh? Um, but I bring that up only because there's a number of other celebrities that appear in it, including John Cleese and Chevy Chase. And after seeing Chevy in that, I was like, hmm, I don't know that I want to see him in anything. He's Love Chevy Chase in the 1980s. I'll watch anything with Chevy Chase, 
right now. Do you think it about uh, like if he came back to do another Fletch? I don't care what it is. Uh, he was excellent on Community. Mm-hmm. Um, the D and D, the D and D episode on that show was amazing. Oh yeah, I love that one. That's with um, it's absolutely oh, amazing. Wait a second, okay. Now we're going down a nerd rabbit hole. And I don't care, man. Um, that episode's when they're trying to help that kid, right? Who's uh, Fat Neil? Yes, Fat Neil. <laughs> and, uh, and Chevy steals the uh, the manual <laughs> and he reads it and <laughs> learns how to beat it. <laughs> that is a great episode. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. And the other dude, I don't know what his name is, but he, he paints himself like a dark elf. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best episodes of any show ever. It's amazing. But that's I'm a Dungeon Dragons nerd, and I love that episode. Yeah, that is a good episode. And it, you know that actor Fat Neil. You know we were talking about the boys before we mm-hmm. started recording. That actor played the character at the beginning of the last episode, so the episode before the final episode, the penultimate episode, as they say. I think it was mm-hmm. the guy who goes to the convenience store. I won't spoil it for anybody. That's him. Yeah. So that's what happened to that Fat Neil character, maybe. If, if everything were a crossover. Okay, which right. is not. That's a dumb comment. What? <laughs> there are no dumb comments. If, if there were dumb comments, yeah. you would just edit me out of the show. <laughs> hey, look, so what do you think, Ray? <laughs> you know, John Hamm also appears in the upcoming uh, movie Maverick, Top Gun Maverick, that uh, one. If we ever see that, it's supposed to come out 4th yeah. of July next year now, hopefully. Um, in, in this article in T, uh, Hollywood Reporter regarding Fletch, he says, not to name drop, but Tom Cruise called me last night because I had just seen a cut of Top Gun Maverick and we were talking and he's like, by the way, I can't wait to see Fletch. And I'm like, what? Okay, we're going to have to get this thing together. So, hey, Tom Cruise is excited about it. So, yeah, great. Hey, in other 80s news, is this 80s news? I, I guess, right? So on October 10th of this year, so I don't know what day it is when you're listening to this, but October 10th, Mr. David Lee Roth celebrated his 66th birthday. Happy birthday to the greatest frontman ever. Oh, all right. Oh. David Lee Roth mm-hmm. is the greatest frontman to ever front a band, okay. bar none. I don't care who you like, he's the best. So what makes a good frontman? David Lee Roth. There you go. That's all you need to know. I don't have mm. to explain it. If you don't understand <laughs> it, then you're wrong. What do we have to watch? Uh, Hot for Teacher video. Um, Hot for Teacher. Um, the '83, the the festival. Okay. Yep. When uh, the guy throws water on him. Yeah. Um, and he goes, "Hey, man, <laughs> if you're gonna throw water on me, I'm gonna f- your girlfriend." <laughs> oh yeah. No, David Lee Roth is the yeah. absolute best frontman ever, and if you want, you can. Mm. We will argue. For three weeks straight, I will argue with anybody. He is the greatest frontman ever. Okay. He is. He's a. There's that, no other. There's no other way around it. If he's the greatest frontman, does that mean when he goes solo, he is absolutely still the greatest frontman ever? Huh. All right. Cool. I mean, he still had that flash when he was, you know, playing with Steve Vai and the other guys. Yeah. He, I saw him with Steve Vai, yep. and it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Mm. He has the swagger. He has. He has everything to back up what I say. So now being an excellent frontman, does that also mean, and I know this is controversial because I saw someone make a comment about this on Facebook today. I know it's controversial, but does that being the greatest frontman make mean that that incarnation of Van Halen with David Lee Roth is better than when uh, Van Hagar? Absolutely. 100%. All right. 
And I will double down. I will say Hot for Teacher is not only the mm-hmm. best song ever written, mm-hmm. it is the best video ever made. Mm. Yeah. And I, well, I agree with you. Obviously, I don't know to the extent that you do of what makes a great front man. But if I just think about those two groups, I love singing along with uh, David Lee Roth or Van Halen songs. Look, I don't have a problem with Hagar songs. I like a lot of them, but I have a lot. Okay. I have a lot more fun singing along with uh, Van with uh, David Lee Roth or songs. Yeah. Here's the difference. Okay. I will sum it up for you. Yeah. You got David Lee Roth going, ain't talking about love. And then you got Sammy Hagar, Sammy Hagar saying, why can't this be love? Hmm. Yeah. The swagger. The swagger is different. I got you. That's a good example, I think. That nuance. I get it. Yeah. There's a vibe yeah. there. Yeah. And he was something, right? Because he, you know, when, when they wrote these songs, you know, Eddie would write the music and mm-hmm. he would write the lyrics, which, yeah, uh, you know, so I was just listening to, uh, came on the radio, I think it was Jump. I don't remember the story behind Jump. Maybe you remember. I think the story, the the supposedly, you know, urban legend is that I think Eddie or someone saw someone on TV that was maybe going to commit suicide and that inspired the, or David saw, I don't know. But when you listen to the lyrics, it's really poetry. And so many of the songs are just poetry that have that swagger that you're talking about. Um, in, in my opinion, I, I think that's an urban legend. I think David Lee Roth wrote that song about um, taking a chance. Mm. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's don't, don't sit back, yeah. jump, yeah. take the chance. Yep. I, I don't think it's about jumping off a goddamn building. <laughs> it's about, it's about just throw yourself out there and yeah. be who you want to be. Yeah. Don't be scared. Yeah. And that's the beauty of his lyrics is, is that they're simple and just to the point. Yeah. And over those melodies that Eddie would lay down, it's just so much fun. Like 1984 is just yeah. a fun album. You don't got to do a whole hell of a lot when Eddie's playing guitar. Mm. You just got to do. I guess you can't get in the way. You got to stay you out of the just, way. Yeah. You just throw some 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 uh, high-pitched uh, noises. And, yeah. And just uh, write some simple lyrics. Like I said, Hot for Teacher is the greatest song ever written because uh, it starts off with that drum beat. Yeah. And then the guitar comes in, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. And then David and uh, Michael Anthony are just like, we're just going to, we're just going to hold down the fort. We're going to do what we got to (laughs) do. Yeah. Boom. It's perfect. I guess Michael Anthony stopped holding down the fort at some point. Well, that's that's another story. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hey, well, speaking about Van Halen, let's get to the show today. And let's say that was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. So as we mentioned, today on our show, we're going to be celebrating the icon that uh, was, that is, Eddie Van Halen uh, and his impact on 1980s pop culture, because not only was he a musician who defined a whole methodology for playing electric guitar, a style for soloing. uh, I mean, can we say tapping? Is he responsible for tapping? I think to some extent he is, right? I mean, yeah, he is absolutely responsible for tapping. Uh, eruption is the first time you hear it on an album. Yep. So people can argue and and run their mouth about somebody else did it first or whatever, but he's the first one to do it on an album. So yep. suck it. And a true virtuoso. And, you know, he and Alex, you know, a, a, as much of a virtuoso as he was on the guitar, his, his brother was on the drums or is on the drums. And in large part, my understanding is because, you know, they came from a musical family and I believe it was their mother who insisted they had these lessons and, 
you know, that they, they, they work hard at uh, whatever they were doing and it happened to be music for them. Of course, he was also an excellent keyboard player, a composer, uh, and so much more. And we're going to talk, touch about, touch on a number of these things as we, we talk about some of the intersections between Eddie Van Halen and his music and other items of pop culture, because he was so big that not only did he leave this lasting impact on music, but he bled into all these, into movies, TV shows, et cetera, and so on, right? Yep. Uh, so uh, undoubtedly, Van Halen had a, a bigger influence on you, right? Or, or certainly a- Obviously, because- A different influence on you. Uh, so what are your earliest recollections of Van Halen? Okay. 1984 comes out. Yep. So I was born in 72. All right, let's see. Now he's going to do math. So that makes me 12. Okay. And this album changed my goddamn life mm. because I had this on vinyl. Yeah. Like I had the album with the baby smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I was physically looking at this album and listening to it. Mm-hmm. And like, this is probably the first Van Halen album I owned. Yep. And it made me want to sing in a band. Mm. This album was perfect. I know. And here's the, the crazy part is, is that the video comes out for Hopper Teacher. Yeah. And immediately I've decided this is the greatest hard rock band ever. So now I go back and I'm just buying everything they've ever done. Yeah. Or stealing it from my friends. Yeah. And I start to study David Lee Roth. Like my friends know when I go on stage, I go to myself, what would David Lee Roth do? <laughs> Which is not always the best, the best advice to anyone. So but, now you're shouting out, "Oh, f- your girlfriend!" Oh yeah, yeah. I am perfectly fine with like the David Lee Roth thought of process on mm-hmm. how you do a front man. So I'm just like all in. Like when 1984 comes out, I'm all in on the album. This is the greatest album I've ever heard, and to this day. I still think Van Halen is probably the best hard rock band that's ever been. Yeah, it's amazing that it stuck with you. I mean, you say, you know, at 12, you felt this way about Van Halen and David Lee Roth and, you know, however many years later it is. Yeah. For you, though, you come from a different background. So I got my most of my rock education, like rock, and I'm talking about like hard rock came from my uncle who would watch me after school. He's like eight years older than I am. So when I was eight, nine, 10, obviously do the math. So he was into, even in high school, he was into, you know, rock. And I remember, yeah. so I learned about, you know, Queen from him and, uh, what was it? Uh, Cheap Trick, you know. Probably Boston, Foreigner, no, bands like that. No, no. No? Queen, Cheap Trick, all the album covers that would make you feel uncomfortable to look at, you know, as a kid. Oh, Not, those are the best know. ones. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. like, well, there's a lot of blood in this on this album cover, this picture here. You know? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So it was, it, anyway, Van Halen. So I first learned about Van Halen from him. And yeah. in part, and this is before 1984 comes out, and in part because my dad, you know, who's an artistic guy, artistic, he was asked to, um, my uncle asked him to paint the VH on his back of his denim jacket. Nice. So, you know, I didn't really understand what was happening, but my dad, yeah, like, you know pencils it down have a have so, you heard the story behind the vh logo no and no jimmy hendrix had a flyer yeah that had a jh 
that absolutely resembles the VH of Van hmm. Halen. This is the reason it only appears on the first two albums. Okay. Because they absolutely just took the J yeah. and extended oh, it no up. Way. I got to look that yeah. up. Now. You hmm. can look it up. Um, they absolutely stole the logo from a Jimi Hendrix um, show poster. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very rare. It was it was nothing, but they absolutely saw it. They took it, and that's why it disappeared after the first two albums. Wow, I have never heard that story. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? That's interesting because it's yeah. Look from our for our generation, it's so iconic for Van Halen. I mean, it just it erased any association with Jimi Hendrix. Well, once again, good artists write songs and do stuff, and great artists steal shit. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. So, okay. So, hey, uh, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen crossed over to so many different areas uh, of our lives. And again, even even though that you you fought, you know you you had known early on that he was this uh, amazing musician that he was you know had created a band that would be the greatest band. You know, even so many years later, you still love Van Halen. Um, he 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 bled over into other areas that maybe maybe I was more familiar with, but you couldn't escape Eddie Van Halen. You knew who he was. It was like Mike Tyson was to boxing, Eddie Van Halen yeah. was to uh, playing guitar in the 1980s. Uh, but one story I remember early on in the 1980s was hearing, which it was just a rumor at the time, right, that Eddie Van Halen played the solo on Michael Jackson's "Beat It." Do you remember hearing that as a kid? I do because as soon as you hear it, you know it's him. There's, there's no doubt that's Eddie Van Halen on guitar in that solo. But uh, even though, I don't know how that rumor got out, it wasn't something he confirmed for many, many years. And yeah. it gave Michael Jackson credibility mm-hmm. to the point where I actually had the goddamn jacket <laughs> that Michael Jackson wore. The red jacket with all the zippers? Yeah, I had that thing. <laughs> but you had a VH on the back of it. Well, it didn't have the VH, but I, I absolutely begged for that jacket yeah and i got it oh we need pictures of that now there there are no pictures i've got the picture of you in the black leather jacket with the long uh hair yeah you got that but um yeah i absolutely had the michael jackson jacket with the zippers and everything because eddie van halen played on that song oh yeah well, re- recently, it was only recently, within the last uh, 10 years or so, that I think that Eddie actually confirmed it and uh, came across mm-hmm. an interview with uh, Eddie um, from 2012, where he tells uh, CNN the story about how it came to be. And he, he mentions how Quincy Jones reached out to him, asking him to come and play on a Michael Jackson record. And he thought it was a crank call at first. Um, but eventually he does go to the studio and there's Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson and they're uh, making records, you know, and he doesn't really know exactly what it is that they're making. But um, uh, he said, you know, he meets them and uh, Michael Jackson takes a moment and steps away and leaves the studio. You know, Eddie's going to do his solo and Quincy tells him, do whatever you want. And, <laughs> yeah. and Eddie says, are you sure? Because when people say that to me, you know, bad things can happen, you know, basically. Because mm-hmm. I will. And so what he wound up doing was, uh, even before he did the solo was, he he had the uh, recording engineer cut the song and rearrange some of the sections and remove pieces of it. And, um, and he wasn't sure. Um, he said the engineer took about 10 minutes for him to do this. And ultimately, once it was done, he did his solo. And, and uh, he wasn't sure how Michael Jackson would respond when he came in. But uh, when Michael's, you know, there's all these stories about Michael Jackson and he says that artists are crazy. So, you, you know, you never know what you're going to get. But when Michael came back and listened to it, he said, uh, thank you 
so much for having the passion to not just come in and blaze a solo, which I can't imagine Michael Jackson saying blaze a solo, but that's how Eddie tells the story, but to actually care about the song and make it better. Yeah, I completely agree that Michael Jackson was was an amazing songwriter. Yep. So whatever Eddie did, who's also an amazing songwriter, he was perfectly happy with. Yep. And it worked out super good for them, so... Well, yeah, uh, and uh, except for, uh, he pointed out during this interview, uh, just a reminder to us, is that Thriller uh, wound up becoming number one and as a result kept 1984 from reaching that top spot on the charts. Yeah, but if you're, if you're Eddie Van Halen, that's okay. Yeah. Because you're on that album. So technically he has one and two. <laughs> yes. Uh, and he tells this funny story that uh, he said that, you know, when the, when the record... I, when the record came out, he went to Tower Records uh, to buy something. And while he's there, Beat It is playing over the uh, <laughs> system. And he said, the solo comes on and there's a couple of kids in the store talking. And he says, he hears one of them say, listen to this guy trying to sound like Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> he said, he said he taps, taps him on the shoulder and says, that is me. <laughs> uh, that, there's a lot of funny stories about people who don't realize Eddie Van Halen is actually standing next to them. Yeah. It, it happens a lot for him as well, he got older. Yeah. And you know what bummed me out a little bit because I, you know, in, in researching this other story about Eddie that's related to the 1980s and where do I have it? Oh, I have it. We're going to get to it in a moment. Yeah. It's a TMZ reporter from a few years ago finds, you know, they just hang out at airports looking for celebrities. I Obviously. Think. And Alex comes down an escalator or something. And that reporter's going over to Alex, man, hey, man, where's your brother? Where's your brother? Where's Eddie? Eddie is standing right next to Alex. <laughs> Eddie says, I'm right here, dude, I'm right here. I was like, come on, man. And then, of course, this kid who's probably in his 20s or something says, oh, man, I'm your biggest fan. And then he goes on to ask them questions. Yeah, Eddie, yeah, you're right. He kind of blended in. But still, that, that dude wasn't a fan. It does seem like the younger generations maybe don't appreciate him the way we do. Yeah, and Eddie's such a, a anomaly for a superstar because, like, um, even at the end of his career, when the the guy did the uh, documentary about him, he talks about how Eddie had this gigantic house. There's no furniture in it, yeah. So he's in his studio all day, and he has just a mattress in the house, mm. which is a million dollar house or multi million dollar house. He go in the house pass out on the mattress, wake up, go right back to the studio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he just wasn't like a huge celebrity. Like just, he didn't care about all that stuff. Did, was this the studio he had built in the eighties? The, the one that's in part credited with the demise of uh, the original Van Halen. I, I don't know if it's the same studio, but um, he hired a guy to document his life who worked on it wow. and the guy lived with him basically. And basically Eddie slept on a mattress with no furniture in his house mm. and would just go back to his studio and just spend all his time there. And he had this car. I forget what the car was, but um, the guy goes, you don't even drive. You, you don't like to drive. Why do you have this car? He goes, because Valerie told me I couldn't buy it. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he goes, look at the license plate. And it says, uh, she's mad. Oh. That's the license plate on the car. <laughs> oh my he gosh. goes, that's why I have the car. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, I remember reading that uh, in 1985 he built a studio in his house, and as a result, he relied less on the, the way that the way David Lee Roth tells the story is that he wasn't looking to them to him for for to collaborate as much anymore. He was just satisfied, you know, rolling out of bed and writing songs on his own, and that, that was one of the bits that ultimately led to David Lee Roth going uh, on his own after that. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen was a perfectionist who was never happy when anyone said that's good enough let's move on right he was always mad and was like no let's do it until everyone says it's perfect so uh speaking of uh rumors again from the 1980s that uh related to eddie van halen here's another one when you're a kid right back to the future comes out if you remember (laughs) there's a moment in there where marty uses uh music to i guess torture his father or certainly frighten him into believing that uh He's an alien Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Uh, he plays a clip of music on a cassette tape uh, after placing uh, headphones on his sleeping father's head. And here is, here's what he plays. Who are you? And that's eruption. Well, see, that's what I'm getting to. Because so a couple of things. One on the cassette tape, it says Van Halen, but then in smaller letters over it, it looks someone wrote in Edward Van Halen. <laughs> um, and it was a question as to what it was. Was it really Ed, Eddie Van Halen? And from what song did it come? If it was Eddie, it's eruption. Yeah. So ultimately, it was confirmed that Eddie did play that. Uh, but what we were told was that it was from a clip of a song from a song called Donut City. Hmm. And he, here's a little bit of that now. Which sounds nothing like the moment in Back to the Future and nothing like Eruption. The uh, moment I, I mentioned where these young uh, reporters or track reporters, that's too strong a term for TMZ guys, but these guys uh, found the Van Halen brothers arriving from a, a trip in the airport. They asked him, Eddie, are you playing, are you playing in Back to the Future? He says, they say, yes. Is it Donut City you're playing? He said, nope. I was just making a bunch of noise on the guitar. <laughs> it sounds so much like Eruption though. Because he, yep. because he plays it and he pauses mm. it. So yeah. Yeah. You don't get to hear a whole lot. I, I think that's intentional. I think that's intentional to make it sound like eruption. And re- regarding the name on the cassette uh, in back to the future, again, the cassette that Marty McFly uh, plays to uh, torture his dad into doing what he wants. Um, it, again, it says Edward in little letters and then Van Halen in larger letters. And it's always struck me as odd since even since I was young, yeah. uh, the story behind that, and we learned this from screenrant.com, they report that Bob Gale and Neil Kenton on the commentary track for back to the future, uh, on the DVD release, they explained that Eddie Van Halen had agreed to be name checked in this Darth Vader scene, but the rest of the band wasn't on board. So hmm. what that meant was that they legally couldn't, uh, put Van Halen on the tape. You know, because that's the band, Van Halen. But since they had Eddie's permission, they could, however, write Edward Van Halen because that's his actual name. Speaking of Donut City, which have you ever heard of Donut City? Donut City is probably a shitty donut place somewhere. (laughs) Well, Donut City is also a track written by Eddie Van Halen that's hard to find Mm. and may only be available on the soundtrack for a 1984 film that Eddie 
uh, along with Don Landy, uh, composed the score for. There's a 1980s film, a 1984 movie that Eddie wrote the music for the movie. I have never seen this movie. It's, it is written by Cameron Crowe. It stars Chris Penn, Leah Thompson, Eric Stoltz, Rick Moranis, Randy Quaid. Uh, how do I have never heard of this? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. What's the name of the movie? The Wildlife. I don't remember seeing it. I don't either, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> this might That's be funny. one of those garbage movies I'll actually watch. Well, you know, he also did the uh, soundtrack for a porno, so Ooh. so. Well, what do you got to do? <laughs> Donut City sounds a little bit like that. <laughs> it sounds a little like it could be uh, porn music. So th- the film sounds amazing for all those, all those actors. It sounds really, you know, amazing also because Eddie scored the, the movie. Um, it also included music from Prince, Madonna, uh, Van Halen, Billy Idol, uh, Jimi Hendrix, a number of artists. Mm-hmm. But as a result of having all of these folks' songs on the, on the, in the movie, the movie studio had a difficult time, if not impossible, probably too costly, getting the rights to have these songs on the DVD releases of the film. So uh, it seems like the only version of the movie that you can find now is a movie where they took all these songs out. Ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to hear that movie. That sounds terrible. What'd they replace them with? Silence. Hmm. I don't know. It doesn't say. Stupid. That's dumb. Okay, here is, a, speaking of movies and Eddie's influence on pop culture in the 1980s beyond music, um, here is a movie that Eddie is referenced in and who had was a real-life influence on. Ted, while I agree that in time our band will be most triumphant, the truth is Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but... I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments if we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! So it turns out, um, according to Ed Solomon, one of the co-writers and creators of the Bill and Ted characters... Eddie Van Halen was a huge influence on the characters and the film. I also learned, and I actually meant to bring this up a few weeks ago, but in the book, in the uh, movie book for uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, you know, the behind the scenes making of it, there is a picture with the director, Dean Pariseau, in the production studio where they have like storyboarded out the different scenes they're going to have. And the, what looks like the column of moments that we had for Dave Grohl at the top of that column, it says Van Halen House. Originally, they wanted Eddie to play that part. Yeah, this was uh, something I meant to bring up when we did the Bill and Ted um, stuff. Um, yep. This was something I meant to bring up was is the Eddie Van Halen aspect of Bill and Ted. I really wanted Eddie Van Halen to show up in that last yep. scene. I really did. Yep. And... I think his failing health is what stopped this from happening. Yeah. And that's, that's crushing because had they made this movie even three years ago, right. he would have actually been there, I think, and been a part of it. So that's, that's actually sucks because I really wanted uh, Eddie Van Halen to be in that final movie yeah. to show up because as, as we both know in the, yeah. they, like you said, He's the guy they needed to be successful. Right. So 
I was actually disappointed that he was not in Face the Music. But I understand why he wasn't. Yeah. So, which sucks. Yeah, and Ed Solomon agrees with you. He wrote on Twitter saying, uh, we tried to get him to do something, anything in Face the Music, but they said he was unavailable and wouldn't tell us why. Sadly, I think I now know. So that sucks. You know, certainly not to take anything away from the the pain that the actual celebrity, like Eddie, was going through, or his family. There is something, I don't know. Look, we would have been sad anyway. Mm-hmm. But like thinking about Chadwick Boseman recently passing away and Eddie passing away, yeah. that when you don't know about the battle, it seems even, it seems so sudden to us. Like the last time we see these performers, they seem fine. They seem, you are talking about doing another thing, you know, getting the band together or doing another movie and then they're gone. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, we don't have an opportunity, I think, to grieve along the way, you know, and it's, I don't know. Can, can you find something happier to talk about? No. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on the idiots or maybe, we, uh, or maybe we won't. I don't know. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Hey, here's another, hey, okay. Here's something uplifting, up, uplifting. The greatest moment in the film, better off dead. You know, and we just spoke to, the, Oh, here the we stars. go. This, this actually right. is better. Right, is yeah. Uh, we just spoke to one of the stars of better off dead, Ms. Diane Franklin. She is awesome. She was wonderful. We're getting such great feedback on her conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah she was out. amazing. If you missed it, you should go listen to that episode. But one of the greatest moments in Better Off Dead is the animated scene when uh, Lane, is this Lane Lane? That sounds wrong all of a sudden. Lane. Yeah, his name is Lane. What's his name? Lane Lane Meyer, right? Lane Meyer. Yeah. Uh, when Lane, uh, working at the hamburger joint, Frankenstein's <laughs> a burger to life. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> that burger winds up being some you know, I guess amazing combination of both David Lee Roth and yeah. Eddie <laughs> because he's singing like David, but playing Eddie's, you know, Franken. He's, uh, he's got the, the Frankenstrat. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing scene in that movie that um, really is cool. Even from the whole beginning of it, when he does the Frankenstein scene where he's got yep. the patty <laughs> and he lifts it up yes. to this, and then and then the whole hamburger thing pops up. Yeah. It's awesome. It's alive. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so good. So Savage Steve Holland, uh, the director of the movie, tells a story that um, I guess he wanted to do some kind of animation in the film because, you know, to show how Lane had this crazy imagination. And he had recalled seeing uh, this claymation short about uh, Mayor Ed Koch, who was the mayor of New York City at the time. Um, and you remember in the 80s, we had the, what, the Raisins commercial. and Oh, yeah. It was like this a is definitely film. like the Raisins. Yeah. So he wanted to track down this artist who did this claymation video that he had seen. According to this article in Ultimate Classic Rock, they, they say that Savage Steve... Uh, uh, once he heard the Van Halen song, Everybody Wants Some, everything clicked. And so he made the mm. hamburger joint called, he named the hamburger joint, Everybody Wants Some, just to set up this joke with this claymation, uh, you know, D- David, uh, Eddie uh, hybrid. Yeah. The song he sings is Everybody Wants Some, and it's just perfect. Yeah, it's awesome. But once again, everything Van Halen is f***ing awesome. So what are you yep. going to do? Okay, hey, there's so many different ways Eddie has influenced our lives and our pop culture and so many of the things we love from our favorite decade, the 1980s. Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, etc. Find us there. But we have proven beyond a shadow of oh, a doubt. I didn't even ask you anything. You don't have to ask me. You know what? Because this is a David Lee Roth moment right here. This is it. Van Halen 
is the greatest band ever. Excellent. Rest in peace, Eddie. And we will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.